the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Best, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. I am so excited to be sitting down with Amanda Lucchetti. She is the co-founder of Diani.io, which is a climate-focused venture studio. Diani's team incubates, develops, and launches companies and projects that aim to solve the most pressing challenges facing our communities and our planet. She spent her career leading and orchestrating teams from across the different facets of a business for organizations of all sizes. Amanda is a new mom to a beautiful baby girl and is openly navigating how to create space for motherhood while also being a business owner. Amanda and I talked about all sorts of things from user experience and how it can help solve sustainability challenges to her own journey and breaking up with hustle culture and redefining things like hard work and full time. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Welcome to another new episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I am so excited today to sit down for this is actually our first ever video recorded podcast episode with Amanda Lucchetti, who is the co-founder of Diani and just someone who, again, I'm a huge fan of. Welcome to the podcast, Amanda. Hi, thanks, Liz. I'm so excited to be here. You have been, I mean, as you know, just so fundamental to my entrepreneur journey and have been through it the last couple of years with me. So I'm so excited to talk to talk about it and talk with you and um, share my learnings. And yeah, thank you so much. Oh my goodness. Well, it's such mutual admiration over here. And I know um, for our listeners, we're actually sitting down on like a, a momentous day. <laughs> For Amanda. Um, so maybe before we get into all of that, would love if you wouldn't mind just taking a minute to like introduce yourself to our listeners and give them a little context on why January 13th is important. <laughs> yeah, so I'm the co-founder of Diani, which is a climate-focused venture studio, which is now a climate-focused venture studio, and we'll get into that today. But um, we also do consulting within the climate sustainability space. Um, I started this business two years ago today. So it was, um, it had been brewing at the end of 2020 and I officially, officially took the leap to become a co-founder on January 13th. So it feels very magical to be talking to you right now about that. Oh, I love it. I feel like business birthdays, at least for me, are such a real <laughs> thing. And it's like, I know that often in entrepreneurship, at least for me, it can feel like it's like not happening fast enough, a lot of things. Um, but I do find that when I take that like full year perspective on like what's unfolded in the past year, it's like often mind boggling to be like, whoa, a lot did happen, even if it didn't feel like it in the moment. Yeah, a bunch of baby steps, right? And uh, it's like you realize all of the things that you were doing 
maybe, you know, six months ago, you see them start to come to fruition, you know, at, at, in the present and you're like, oh, okay, wow. So I was like setting the seeds then. So, totally. Um, totally. Very special. And then I became a new mom recently. So I'm very much navigating openly vulnerable, navigating motherhood and business and uh, how I'm making it work um, and like what things need to give. And um, that's been a big learning curve, but, um, you know, learning as I go. Oh, I love that so much. And I'm really excited to talk to you more about that today because I feel like one, like one wearing those two hats is like, I can only imagine so hard. And two, I think we need more real conversations about what that looks like and a new paradigm for what it means. Yeah, totally. Especially coming off the pandemic and seeing, like, I don't know how those parents did it. Like, I don't. I, I, I have so much empathy and like want to give each one of them a huge hug. <laughs> Just it, it's, it's a lot. And I think that I have a new outlook too on, on what, you know, full-time means and like how I'm actively redefining what work looks like for me. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, again, so excited to get more into that, but maybe before we do, um, would love to hear a little bit more about Diani and maybe like the journey for it to become a climate-focused venture yeah. studio. So uh, we started Diani um, um, in October, well, technically January 2021 is when we like officially stood it up. Um, we had been talking through it at the end of 2020. And um, talk about, I guess, what we offered initially, um, and then where we're going and then can dive a bit into, um, like how we are, like how we were founded. So, uh, we started in 2021 and really it was an agency firm, part like a services model to work with, uh, companies within the climate and sustainability space. And we were going to offer UX design and tech consulting services, because that was the easy and natural fit based on where we were coming from. We were coming from a, a working at a large firm um, and we um, wanted to put those skill sets to use in this space. And we all had this passion to be working here. And so we knew it was a natural fit to go there and um, to, to offer that type of um, model. And, um, you know, we've had the, uh, the last couple of years we've been able to work with it or work with like a heat pump and storage company and designing their consumer facing app. We've been able to work um, with some early stage entrepreneurs on their community owned um, wind power idea and help them crystallize that concept. And we've even consulted on the de decentralized data governance protocol, which is aimed at carbon accounting. And so we've, we've done a lot of different things and truly the last couple of years has been, learning like where we're going to be best situated to to go um this has been a huge learning curve this area there's so much areas of the of the business and we knew we needed to grasp and have a good understanding of the different solution areas and and um not kid ourselves and, and saying oh we know what's going on we did not know much going on so we just knew we wanted to be in this space um and so um we have been working with a lot of entrepreneurs and 
um, realized that we wanted to go this venture studio route. Um, and I would say, you know, basically incubate, develop, and launch companies and projects that are aimed at um, uh, the most pressing challenges that we're facing with climate change and with our communities um, that are all impacting the planet. And um, we just felt this is where our heart was going. And to get a bit more granular around the focus, uh, we are still going to do consulting because that revenue is feeding. We're completely bootstrapped. So that money is feeding the venture studio right now. Um, but the three areas we're focusing on now, one's within uh, climate health, more specific mental health and how climate anxiety, eco-anxiety um, that specific area and what tools need to be developed to address that. Um, the second one is within soil health. And I'm like, I geek out about soil. That has been something that I've learned a lot about over the last couple of years. Um, and I, a team, uh, the team that's working on this idea has, it's grown organically with people that I've met um, in the different virtual communities. So it's so excited to see the team that's on this developing this solution within soil health. And then the last one is this market intelligence tool for decarbonization initiatives. And um, we're working with um, an, another entrepreneur on that. Um, so those are our three initial areas of focus. Uh, we have a bunch of ideas on the bench that we have you know, culled together within electrification in particular. And we'll, once we move these initial ones along further, we'll look at those and, and see, okay, how do we start to validate these ones and spend, put some energy behind them. And so the idea is to launch these into the world um, and see what happens. But it's been really exciting to get to this place. Oh my goodness. I have full body chills listening to you talk about this. It's so exciting. And I know it's been such a journey to get here. But it, hearing you talk about it, it feels so aligned with the vision and the mission that you like had at, in your heart as you set out to start this company. Yeah. Um, one thing I'd love to do too before we like get into like a little bit more of like the nitty gritty and like climate and UX and design um, is just I know you have an incredible story of how you came to be here and like what led you to this moment. And really, I think one of my favorite things on the podcast is hearing from real women who are doing such cool work about how they came to be here. So if you wouldn't mind, would you like indulge us with the story of how you came to be where you are today? <laughs> yeah, I, it's and I start this by saying that somebody asked me recently, like, what my, what, what's your spirit? Like, what inspires you? What's your spirit? And the first thing that came to me, and there's a lot of things, but the first thing that was like, like uh, glaring my face was just the word, I love a challenge, a challenge. So my spirit loves a challenge. <laughs> um, I love being told I can't do something and then figuring out a way to do it. Um, I have just a belief in myself in getting it, um, in going through it and figuring out a different way of working um, and approaching a challenge. And I think it's not only the challenge and like maybe that a little bit of adrenaline, sick adrenaline rush I get by doing it, but it's it's also being able to challenge ways of thinking and how things are done traditionally and challenging our systems and, and really looking at things from a different angle and potentially going against the grain of how we've been taught to do things. And 
that, that lights me up. So with that in mind, um, there, there are three, I would say, moments in my life, uh, I guess, challenges that have presented themselves that have been really influential into where I am today. I think the first one for me uh, was uh, coming out of high school, going to college. So I got into UC Davis um, early. Um, I the first one in my family to go to college. So I my parents didn't go to college. My grandparents didn't go to college. So I was you know paving the way for my siblings to go to school, and um, I had this like feeling that I needed to play field hockey in college. I was a three-sport athlete in high school and I was like, oh, I'll just go for academics to school. And I, my senior year, I was like, I need to play field hockey. I, I like, I don't know where it came from, but I was like, I need to play this sport. And I went to a tournament and um, it's really unusual for a senior to be able to get recruited to go play D1 at that time. So, or at that late, I guess, in the, in the stage. And I uh, went to a tournament for field hockey and got recruited at Davis. So Davis, it, like, and I'm a big believer in synchronicity and like signs from the universe. And uh, Davis was starting their division one field hockey program. So it's part of the inaugural f- program. And so for me, I got my, I, I, I decided to go there. I signed and uh, I competed for four years, you know, went through the program. I was one freshman of 22 that started the program and only 11 of us remained at the end. And we got our ass kicked by, <laughs> by five-year seniors that were playing at Virginia or North Carolina, some of the best field hockey schools, right, in the nation. But that experience truly taught me what uh, the different pillars are to build a successful team. And uh, uh, a real solid foundation. And those that experience has, and, and the team building aspect of it has been really applicable into what I'm doing now. Um, and uh, just translates strongly into the business world. So that was one, one challenging experience that I went through and came out the other side. And I, it was a huge growth opportunity for me. Uh, the second one is working for us. I worked for a small agency out of school and, or it was, I worked in the uh, university setting and then I decided I wanted to, I didn't know what I wanted to work with, within. And so I, I knew if you were in an agency, you got to wear a lot of different hats. You got to work on a lot of different projects and different categories. And so I was like, I need to go work at an agency. So I went and worked for like a startup small firm and, um, that they had like a major shakeup uh, where it was a small team and they, the, the CEO left. And I literally was like under the CEO. It was like, I was an account manager and worked directly with him. And we had the creative teams. It was a small team. And I was, the founders were both creative directors or executive creative directors. And they placed me into a senior role overnight. And we're like, so now the CEO has gone. <laughs> Like we need you to help us run the accounts. We need you to help us run our operations. Like we need you to basically run, help us run the firm. And I was like, oh shit. Okay. <laughs> and I think a lot of people would have been like, would have left and quit and done something else. And I decided to stay there for over a year. And um, that experience really taught me how to run a small business. And I, 
um, it's very applicable to how I, the learnings from that were very applicable to how I started Diani. So um, I stayed, I, I went through it and um, there is actually when I started to realize I really had this um, yearning to go work within climate and uh, was wor- and wanted to work more on like the early stage ventures. And uh, I um, was actually asked to be, be a partner at this firm. And I just decided at that point, I was like, I'm not ready for this. I, I feel like I need to go work at a large firm. And so then I went to go work at a large firm and I got to go, um, when I left, I, I was going to go work on a carbon offsetting platform at this large firm in San Francisco. And so I was like, okay, great. This is, I get to try out, I get to go work on this project and, and work on this, on this um, organization and truly see like, if this is the space I want to be in. And, and that's when I, I also knew I wanted to work on more digital products and projects and work with more digital teams. Like I, I really liked that type of work. So that led me into that direction. And then I think the last challenge that I'm in is, is now, <laughs> is currently. So I know I think starting Diani was um, a huge challenge. I st- and I didn't think of it as a challenge until somebody literally was like, so you decided to start a business during a pandemic and then you just had a baby. And I was like, oh, sh- yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> like. <laughs> put it like that. Yeah, I guess it was it is challenging. It's hard. It's not traditional. And uh but really starting pande- a, a business in a pandemic is it's hard. It, it was hard. I I didn't realize it then. And maybe that was a good thing, but I needed to really rebuild my network and connections and community and really learn. I feel like the last 2 years I've gotten a masters in climate like <laughs> on my own. And, uh, I didn't have full faith that the revenue, like that I was going to be able to sustain this. I took a major risk and, but I had this gut knowing that I needed to work. I needed to to do this. I needed to focus on the biggest challenge of our time, which is I, which is what I think. And part of that story and that challenge, which, um, is just really fascinating is, of like how Diani came to be. So I'm going for a walk. Like it's 2020, pandemics are happening. I'm like, okay, I can't, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. And the firestorm happened in August. And we have family staying with us because of the fires, because they were evacuated. And I'm just like, what is going on with the world? And I I just was like, I I I need to be like 100 percent focused in this space. Um, and I don't. I, I, ha- I went on a walk in October of 2020 and I had this like crazy clarity of like, you need to work in climate sustainability and you need to start something. I did not know what I was just like, okay, universe, whatever. Like my thoughts were, you know, I, I went home and I, I remember like telling my husband, I'm like, I have this crazy idea. Like, I think I know what I want to do. And he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And <laughs> um, I kid you not, Liz, that next week, I'm having a conversation with the digital and innovation leads at the company I was at. And they're like, so Amanda, um, we're going to start our own company or we think we are. I was like, oh, that's cool. And they're, I'm like, well, what do you want to work in? <laughs> like, what do you want to do? They're like, well, so we want to focus within climate sustainability. And my mouth just like dropped going back to synchronicity. I was like, hmm, okay. Is this another sign? So, I mean, that, that was a, a, a big 
pivotal moment where I'm like, okay, I think, I think this is the right time to do this. And even though I didn't think it was the right time at the time, but <laughs> um, I had a lot of questions about it and I vetted it out, but that's ultimately where I was like, okay, I think it's time to jump in and make this start and go down this path, which I just, you know, very unsure what was going to happen, but here I am. Oh my goodness. I love it. I did not know about like those twin like synchronicity moments leading up to you getting started. I It's wild. I've found like – I feel like there are times when I'll just like have this thought of this thing I really want and like the next day I get an email out of the blue from someone that's like, hey, have you thought about this? Like do you want to – it's so crazy. It's like you're like, how could I not say yes? You literally read my mind. Yeah. It's like, are you reading? I know. And part of me is like, are these things reading our minds? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, was like, did Instagram listen to what I said and like feed it over to you? Yeah. That's so cool. Um, well, I think something I've just found really inspiring about the work that you've been doing, you know, along this journey over the past couple of years is I think you've really helped open my eyes to all the different ways that like, UX and design can be leveraged far more than they currently are in service of sustainability and service of climate action and service of like this future that we all really want to see. Um, And would love if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more about like one, like your philosophy around that and two, like some practical applications of how, how UX and design can help advance sustainability. So I, it's, it's, it's good timing. Um, there's a couple, there's like the UX's role and I'll, I'll give you my, my point of view. And then just also this, and you know about a bit about this, but regard to an evolution of experience design and, and um, a bit about the process there that we see needs to eventually evolve or, or that we're looking at evolving too. So with UX, um, this I read this piece recently. Um, the guy's name is Jeff uh, Coleman, and he wrote. He was in this community piece on this newsletter I was reading, and he wrote about. Um, he runs One Billion Machines, which is out of Rewiring America. I believe it's a newsletter for them, and he put it in a really good light around just some of the barriers when it comes to just electrification. Take like electrification um, in particular, but. He was like, it should be easier to buy a heat pump um, than buying a home. Like right now I can go on Redfin, right? And I can, I can look, I can, you know, get a house, right? Um, We make it so hard right now. It is really hard to electrify, just taking America, uh, for example. And what he talks about is that there are these underlying like structural and systemic barriers for us and able to make it happen and um, to make it easier, to make it equitable. There's all these different areas, right, that need to change. And the first one that he talks about is regarding policy and regulation, regulatory. The second one is technology. And um, like think about technology in regard to hardware, um, the actual things. Um, And then the third piece is the soft infrastructure, and that is the digi- the human and the digital systems and the structures that need to be there that enable us to actually scale and adopt these new technologies. And I think that for me is where user experience and experience design plays such a fundamental role is 
being able to get us to, like we need the infrastructure on the digital side to be built that allows us to, to design frictionless experiences that at the end of the day will scale the adoption of these things into our lives so that we can transition and be a part of this transition. So I just see it as a way to play a massive role in scaling these technologies. Um, and you're starting to see it with like, uh, I think about like Span, which is the startup um, where they've reinvented the electrical panel and made it like a smart panel. So you can actually control it like on your phone. And so there's all these different uh, areas of that I think experience design is going to play a fundamental role when it comes to the adoption of these by us, by individuals. Um, so that's that's my one example or, or regard to, to the role. I think uh, twofold is this evolution of experience design uh, and more around the process. So when we talk about user experience, we're focused on the user. <laughs> we're like focused on human-centered design, like but that's part of what has gotten us a bit into this mess as well uh, with climate. And, uh, you know, we, we, do, we do believe there needs to be an evolution of human-centered design that places this priorities not just on what the user needs and wants, but really is thinking about, okay, if I create something and design something a certain way, like, am I taking, like, ecosystems and other communities that maybe haven't been part of the um, – been at the table like into consideration and uh i think there's a massive opportunity there to really redo uh, this paradigm like a paradigm shift of of how we need to approach these problems and um so there's this uh that's that's part of the process that we see needs to evolve and um we see that uh it, it will it, it will start to change how we do business. It will start to change just how things are done in general and how we perceive things. And if so if designers start to think through this lens of like climate lens and if I design, like and what's amazing about designers is, is they're system thinkers and they think about all, and that's what I love about experience design is you think about all of these implications. There's this behavioral piece, there's this data piece, and then there's this like art piece of it, right? And um, being able to think through, okay, how am I going, if, if this behavior is influenced, what is that going to do to the environment, right? And um, so I think I truly believe designers play such a powerful role when it comes to um, this. And I think that there is a role for everybody when it comes to climate and sustainability. And it's just figuring out where your skill sets, right, can be applied um, but we just we need so many people focusing in on this area. Absolutely. Well, and I think like one super practical example that um, I feel like came into like my awareness through conversations with you is like you think about online shopping and like when you're like checking out to purchase a product, like is one is like your shopping experience like incentivizing you to make the most like environmentally responsible decisions and like also fully appreciating that like a lot of this is these are also systems problems and I don't think that the <laughs> like it's it's up to us as individuals wow. like individual action is not going to solve the climate crisis it's a piece of the puzzle right. but like how as a, as a company or an organization are you making it easy for your customer to make the most 
environmentally responsible decision? And like, how are you incentivizing that? Or like, are you even giving people the option to like have something shipped in the most environmentally sustainable way? Like maybe they don't need it tomorrow and they don't need it shipped by air or like maybe they want recycled packaging or like no packaging or, you know, what are those options that you could give the consumer? And then how do you also have the business processes and operations that support people being able to make the best decision. Yeah. I mean, that that was a bit about like this climate-centered experience design that we were like working the pilot last year was like, how are we making this an easy decision? And um, we truly believe that companies have power, have so much power to drive change and behavior change. And I mean, if you think about like an e-commerce platform, if you think about Amazon or if you think about Walmart, like how many people they touch, right? And uh, yeah, they can choose within their experience to, you know, say, and I think Amazon does this now, but I want, I don't want all my stuff shipped separately. I want it all shipped together. Um, I know that there's also technology that they're trying to make it easier. Like if, if you're buying like a pair of pants, like uh, making that experience so you're not having to constantly return and send things back and forth and back and forth. So cutting down on returns, like there's there's so many ways to think about it. And then like if you think about even um, uh, food ordering delivery uh, services and choosing what you eat, uh, there, there definitely is a role where you can nudge people to be like, choose a plant-based meal tonight. Like you don't have to constantly choose a meat-based meal. So there's there's little things that you can do within these experiences that I think add up uh, in general over time and can make a very large impact. Um, but it's just, it's it's being aware, right? It's just having some sort of awareness that this is possible. Absolutely. And then like also like asking, like how can we make like the quote unquote, like maybe not right thing, but like the the best thing, the easy thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's part of like what we we talk about a lot here. <laughs> I love it. Well, I'm curious, like you know, uh, for people who are listening who are cur- who are like either just. I mean, I would love to know what your day to day looks like running Diani. Like you have a lot on your plate. <laughs> um, being a new ish mom, like could you give uh, us a sense of like what what an average day or an average week in your life looks like? Uh, yeah, right now it's a bit of a crapshoot. Uh, <laughs> in um, full transparency, I um, had Nora in June, my daughter, and I took three months off from the business and really uh, worked hard to plan um, coverage and figuring out, like, as a founder, can I take three months off? I took three months off completely. And I have business partners that are super supportive of that um, and that are true partners and all this with me. So I'm really lucky to, to have that support um, and also a supportive husband. So <laughs> it, it's allowed me to do that. Uh, I went back to work in October. I uh, started going back to work, had family. A lot of family came up to help me watch Nora. And um, I started through, down this interview process with a bunch of part-time nannies. I was like, oh, I'll get a nanny. 20 hours a week or whatever. And, um, and I'm going to these interviews and I'm like, what the heck am I doing? I think it didn't fit, like sit right at all. And I talked to somebody recently, Saprita, who you 
connected us with. And she, she was like, I just want to validate 100% how you feel because that is a real thing. Like, you know, what is right and what's not right instinctually, like as a mom. So that's just been amazing to hear other moms, like a point of view on it too. But I was like, I, I think I need to scale back. I think I need to scale back. I need to figure out what this looks like. I can't, I, I got to or either organize my time better or figure out when I'm on, when I'm off. Um, but I really want to be there for my daughter. And I really, I, I always put, I always, <laughs> I always was like, oh, she's a baby. She won't remember me at this time, you know, I, but I never put into perspective how I would feel at this time. And it totally changes when she, when they're here. And so I, um, you know, I have the privilege to scale back a bit and I acknowledge that. And so what I'm doing now, so I, I, I cobbled together childcare and figured, finished out my year with Diani, um, uh, going into December. And so now my, my schedules is, is the following. I'm basically on two days a week, um, on the business and I, but the other two days. So basically Monday through Thursday, I'm working Monday and Wednesday, no meetings. I literally will only work during her nap times or when she's sleeping. And a lot of it's just research-based, which is part of what I'm doing on the venture studio stuff. So I've been able to work on those initiatives. Tuesday, Thursday, I um, am available between 10 and 2 for meetings, for whatever. And I have that. I have help um, between 10 and 2. And right now that that's working for me. Um, it's like roughly I'm working like 16 to 20 hours a week. Um, but it is somewhat working. My daughter sleeps through the night. Like I'm lucky in that sense. Like I, there's a lot of things working for me like with, with, um, uh, my family life <laughs> in order to figure this out. Um, and also with the business and, um, so that, so that's really what, what is going on. I work when she's napping, I'm working, um, uh, I really am working between 10 and two on those days. And then I'll occasionally work on the weekends and stuff. My husband will watch her while I go to a coffee shop for a couple hours and catch up on some things that I feel like I need to catch up. But I think for me, this is really, I've talked to a lot of women too, that are new moms that completely are like, I'm not working at all. Like, and I'm like, why aren't we hearing more of these stories about like ambitious women that are creating space for family? Like we just aren't. And I think it would be like, I would like to hear about that more, like, and just like feel like validated that I'm making whatever the, you, you need to make the the decision that's right for you, but what's also right for your family. And that's going to be different for every single person. And every single person is going to be different, feel different. Um, some people might want to go to back work sooner. Some might not want to, like, it's like, it spans, it's a huge spectrum. And so it, Get to get to this, like it's it's for me. It's I'm starting to redefine what full time looks for me and what working looks for me, and that's part of like what I'm in the middle of right now. Totally. When I I so appreciate the real talk about this, and I mean I think the one thing that I've observed that seems to be consistent across the board and like talking to other you know women in my world is like whatever you, however you think you're going to feel when the baby is here yeah. about work, you're going to be surprised about something. <laughs> just Wow. I, I mean, that, I, that wholeheartedly believe that. 
And I've, I've heard the opposite. I've heard, I've had women be like, oh, I wanted to completely take a break when I had kids. And then I had kids and I was like, no, I want to be work. Like it, it's, it is so wild. And I also think it really highlights like how our systems in this country are not set up to support women and caregiving. And it's like, I'm at a startup. I don't make a ton of money, right? So like if I I'm hiring somebody, that's like a big that's an investment. And um that it's childcare is expensive. Like it's expensive. And so and then two like on the other side of it, it's like I I really want to be there and support. It's it's so it's a lot of work, right? It's it's probably the most it, it's some of the most impactful work that caregivers are doing cuz they're helping people, they're helping the next generation. Um, and we don't, we don't give it the support it needs. And it, it has become really apparent becoming a mom, seeing that firsthand. Totally. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. Well, I know that for you too, like you sort of been on like a two plus year journey to break up with hustle culture and really like redefine success and productivity for yourself. Um, which is something like I'm so here for. And I, it's been really, it's really fun to see like ambitious women, like really stop and like ask ourselves, like, what is success for me now? Like, I'm curious if you could share a little bit more about what that's looked like for you. I I, I think it's probably like this, uh, people listening are probably like, there's this juxtaposition of like, but you're in a startup and like startups are supposed to go fast and are, you know, are, are supposed to like constantly be working 24 seven. Um, I was really adamant starting Diani that I didn't want the foundation of this company started on the back of hustle culture. Like it just, I, I knew that I, I was, I was coming from a world where it's constant work, 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 like 70 hour work weeks. Um, you're like, you're like a cog in the machine, right? Like, and I, and I'm like, there's gotta be a better way to do this. And I think there's, there's something I, I'll read it here. I have it up, but it's this quote I found that I think really summarizes kind of this uncomfortableness that we, that I've been trying to, um, possess and be okay with, but the truly valuable skill, skill here isn't the capacity to push yourself harder but to stop and recuperate despite the discomfort of knowing that work remains unfinished, emails unanswered, and others people's demands unfulfilled. Like for me, like that has been this healing journey that I've been on, like like reading that like over and over of being like, okay, I'm going to focus on what I think is priority right now. And guess what? There's things that are just not going to get done. And it is what it is. And um I, I, I think the athletics background and I talk about like, um, my, my dad played like a pretty significant role in my life as a kid. And like, I was a tomboy and he was like, out hustle the boys, like always out hustle. You'll win every time if you out hustle. So I had this like mentality that I have to out hustle everybody. I might not be the smartest, but if I can outwork anybody, then I will get to where I need to go. Like that will be successful. Like I'll be led on a successful journey. And then I'm 29 years old and I'm just so burnt out. And like, it's just like, how did I get to that? Like so burnt out. I mean, and, and that's where, I mean, it, it was planted in my head early on. Right. And 
Um, so yeah, I, I, I think part of the last two years and starting Diani is like, I've been on this healing journey of breaking away from this hustle mentality and being okay with, um, what's happening in the present and, um, uh, being okay with not everything's going to get done at the same time and being okay with speed as well. Like I, I, I've, the thing I've been telling my business partners is the concept or thing. I'm like, we have to intentionally scale intentional. Like we got to, we have to be very intentional. You know, I think, yeah, for me, it's just been living it is part of the redefinition of this, of the hustling is like, like being, uh, the learning through action. Right. And, um, redefining that success doesn't equal hours, like success, like hard work is being consistent and hard work is just showing up. Right. And hard work is like having hard conversations and it doesn't need to be hustle hours, like grind, grind, grind. And it's, it's crazy because America is just so that the culture here and, um, it's been hard as like an athlete from coming from an athletic background to break because it's like work was my outlet (laughs) of that. Maybe like push yourself, but there's other ways to push yourself. And I think it, it really is different when it, it is like when you're working and it's your brain and it's your mental health and, there's so much, right? And um, so that, anyways, that's a bit. It's a, that was a little bit all over the place, but it's a, a bit about like how I feel about, I guess, hustle culture and um, where I think as a society we really need to question it uh, moving forward. Thank you. I mean, I find it so inspiring the way that like this has been so core to your intention with your business from the very beginning. And I just, I also like, I love, I want to like highlight and underline and all the things like this idea of like, and it's something that I've been doing a lot of like thinking about and reflecting on and working on and like getting it wrong and like reflecting on it and working on it some more. But this idea that like the hard work is doing things differently and like embodying the possibility that a different approach is possible. Like it's not being on your laptop until 11 o'clock at night. Is network on your 2023 to-do list? Hi there, it's Liz. If you're liking our conversation and our approach to personal development, career advancement, and living a life that turns you on, I invite you to join our community, the Girls Club Collective. We are the intentionally intimate personal and professional development community for women who are changing the world. Instead of asking for a seat at the table, we decided to build our own. Like most change agents and rebels with a cause, you don't often have enough hours in the day to change the world and cultivate a strategic network. If overwhelm has become your second language and you're feeling tired of trying to convince your own marketing team to actually read your ESG report, you're in the right place. We know that sometimes trying to make a difference can feel like being that one person out on the dance floor trying to get the party started. And that's why we created the Girls Club Collective. It's where women changing the world organize, and all you have to do is show up as yourself. 
We are the anti-establishment version of the Boys Club, reimagining ambition and leading the movement of meaningful work fueled by moxie, strategy, and a little bit of magic. That means you not only gain access to a community of people you need to know, you'll also take a look at how you can grow as a leader, what you really want, and why your dream of living by the beach and working for yourself isn't as crazy as it sometimes feels. By offering monthly peer advisory, salons on timely and relevant topics, networking power hours, and more, the Girls Club Collective is your extended team, your extra brains, and an energizing environment that is geared toward your personal and professional growth. We believe that changing the world is a team sport. Join the collective designed for exactly that and use the code PODCAST, that's all caps, PODCAST, for 10% off your first year of membership. You can find the link to join us in the show notes. And I cannot wait to see you in the collective. Well, and going back to like hours and redefinition of work, like (laughs) – First, like work, like this this 40-hour work week is like Henry Ford, right? Like this is like, and I'm, and we're supposed to be like constantly evolving and like, okay, 1920s, like technology was a lot different then, right? We didn't have computers. We didn't have Zoom. We didn't have all these things. And so we have all these tools at our disposal that make that we're just a lot more efficient, right? So why are we still at this expectation of 40 hours? And like I, we use Loom a lot and like I'll record statuses and send updates to the team versus having a meeting. And it's like, it's, it's, it's crazy to me that we still are working at this capacity and we have all these solutions that make it easier for us to do things. Yes, absolutely. I feel like I, since college, I've kind of been like, I feel like I'm like, well, like, you know, like the internet's going to become a thing and people are going to become this more efficient, this much more efficient. Like why wouldn't every job be like a 20 hour a week job? And I think it's exactly. And especially looking at like the disparity, especially over the pandemic and like the people who had jobs and were working like 50 hours a week. And then all the people who wanted jobs and there was no job. It's like, how is there not a reallocation of this work in a different way that makes more sense? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's I and I think becoming a mom and um I obviously knowing I I didn't want to start my foundation of the the company like on that none none of us did um but also I think becoming a mom you realize okay like is there a world where I can do both where I can be the primary caregiver um be present but is there a way for me to also like do things that I really want to do. Uh, it's all iteration. Like you, you try out what will work for you, but I think it is potentially possible. It, I think we have the tools to, to do it. And I, it really depends obviously on the type of work that you do. Like if you, it, it totally is dependent on that, but for work where I am, you know, online or at my computer or at my desk, whatever, like I think it is possible. And I love seeing that more people or more companies and countries are going like a four-day work week for like for example I'm like okay we're, we're making progress <laughs> yeah it's just it's really fascinating and I think it's just fascinating to ask ourselves and and to talk about and to see if okay can we challenge this moving forward I agree um fully agree and I think it's something I would love for us to see change in our lifetimes um one thing I really wanted to ask you about too like a big focus on the podcast this season is community and the role that community like 
can play, I think, in just in like accelerating all sorts of things and in like bringing more connection into our lives. And I know community has been a big part of your journey in building your business. You alluded to that earlier, but I'm curious if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more like your take on community and the role that community has played. Yeah. Community, I feel like has played is everything actually. <laughs> like uh, community is, I think, very core value for, for Diani. And um, I also just being on the entrepreneurial journey, community literally has given me like life the last couple of years. And I, any, anybody that is, it doesn't even matter if you're an entrepreneur or not, but like finding your community, I think is just so fundamental and crucial and helps just helps you so much. Um, I obviously Liz have before have been a part of, um, the masterminds and part of the, the women changing the world stuff and with you and being a part and with those women in that community has helped me so much just to learn, just to learn and to feel like I'm supported and to feel like I can be vulnerable and vulnerability is so key here. That has just given me life. I also think I started a business in virtually and virtual community in general has been huge. So I joined, I joined um, like my climate journey. I've joined like a women in clean tech and sustainability. I've joined these different groups where there are communities that I've been able to create with these people uh, or with these organizations that have started and really have been able to, like some of the people we're working with on some of the projects were all, I met through that and have created this little hub of of people that I rely on and that I can give, I can share feedback with and I can turn to having a baby as well. Like, and being able to talk to other moms and dads that are maybe in a startup and are trying to figure it out. Like that has helped me mentally so much. I cannot um, recommend finding community enough. So yeah, that, that I would say that that's the, the gist of it, but I have to say though, women community is special. Hmm. It's very special. There's a lot of magic and power there, and you can feel it when you're when you're in those types of communities, or you're having even if it's a Zoom meeting with like six people, six other women. Like you can just feel the energy, and it's very very powerful, and um, it's really really special. Mm. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for saying that. And honestly, like, I feel like you've been such a like p- generous pillar in like some of the communities that I know we've gotten to be a part of together. And I'm just, yeah, so grateful because I feel like something that starting a business, like we're all just like on an island in so many ways. We've all been on islands in so many ways over the past three years. I think we're all like just so deeply craving connection. It's true. But just being able to show up authentically, I think too, is just huge. And I I also think we can weirdly like connect with people now, like going through like kind of this collective traumatic experience with the pandemic. We can maybe connect more than we previously did with other people. It's kind of, it's it's strange, but I, I feel that in some way, shape or form. Yeah, I would agree. I feel like in a weird way, we've sort of like, well, I think like in-person connection is so special and like has such a huge role. I feel like we've also like really achieved a lot of us like a new level of like virtual intimate, like intimacy 
without being physically in the same place that I don't know that I would have believed was possible until we were like forced to try it. (laughs) Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Oh my gosh. Well, I can talk to you for hours. Uh, I would love to talk to you for hours. Um, I also want to make sure I ask you a few of like my favorite sort of quick hit questions before we wrap things up. I want to be respectful of everybody's time. My first favorite one is younger self advice. If you could give your younger self any advice, um, you can pick an age or it can just be generic advice. What do you wish younger you could hear? I'll pick like high school. I think this is probably applicable to a different time, but I'll I'll pick high school. So uh, just around like focusing around the things that light you up. I, I've shared this with you. Like I was a people pleaser and I focused a lot on what would light other people up and not myself. I think the advice I'd give myself is to really hone in on those things that light you up and continue down that path and continue to explore those things. Uh, It was one of the reasons why I I avoided climate for a bit because um, I was trying to figure it out, but also I just didn't feel like I had like the support there from the family front. And um, they had like this vision of what they wanted me to be and do. So, uh, yeah, just to, to really screw all those expectations and to really hone in on what you want to do and what lights you up. Mm, yes. Uh, such good advice. Well, in a similar vein, I know you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking around, I'm like surrounded by post-it notes right now. I love an inspirational post-it. Um, and I'm curious, like what like quote or phrase, if you were to populate a post-it, a reminder, um, would you most want to offer to our listeners? I love the one that's just, uh, and I had it for a long time, especially starting the business. It's the learn by doing. Like you're not going to learn by constantly strategizing and you shared that with me, but to learn through action, learn by doing. Uh, That's uh, something that continues to inspire me. Like when I get caught up in, let's say planning, I'm like, okay, I just need to act. And that, I mean, starting Diani um, has been the biggest learning experience of my life. Uh, and through action, you learn a lot. And so I, I think that for me is like continues to move me forward if I get held up on acting on something. Totally. I mean, that was great advice that I received when I was thinking about starting a business. And I feel like, yeah, it really has stood the test of time in a lot of ways. Um well, last question before I ask how people can like keep up with and find you, um, because this is the Women Changing the World podcast, uh, I have to ask, I used to do this up front, but I'm experimenting with asking that at the end. If you could change one thing about the world, what would be your one thing? I would say we need less fear and we need more love. I would love there to be more love because that stuff compounds big time and um, that would be like, I think the one change, one change I would make because I think it would change a lot of different things. Mm. What a world. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this has been such a treat for people who like love what you're doing as much as I do. Where is the best place for people to like find you, follow you, learn more about Diani? Yeah, I would say you can go to um, diani.io to check out our site and contact us there. Um, LinkedIn, Amanda Lucchetti, or you can email me directly, amanda at diani.io. I, yeah, love talking to people that are trying to transition into climate. 
um, because I can help point them into different groups and directions that um, you know, different communities that have helped me. Um, and then um, if anybody's interested in learning more about what we're working on, on in the Venture Studio, just to uh, contact me, I would love to talk with you, have you involved, um, share a bit more about what we're working on, but would love to hear from anyone interested in some of the concepts that we're working on. Oh my goodness. I love it. And I hope people take you up on that because I feel like, yeah, what you're working on is so, so, so cool. Um, Thank you so much, Amanda, for being on the podcast. It's been such a treat to have you. Thank you, Liz. You're so important to me. So it's so nice to be on it. I'm so honored. Thank you. Oh my goodness. The pleasure's all mine. Happy business birthday. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram. My handle is liz.best, that's L-I-S dot B-E-S-T, or you can find me on LinkedIn by searching my name, Liz Best. Join my mail list by visiting elizabethbest.com slash monthly meditation, and you'll receive all the latest updates on events, retreats, and opportunities to work with me, plus a monthly love note from my heart to your inbox. I am so excited to keep in touch, and I'll see you in the next episode.